We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. John 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. Thanks, Ruth. Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Oakland. My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are new today, uh, we are so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. And Dave or myself would love to get to greet you after the service and and learn your name. So please come introduce yourself to us. Uh, Today we are wrapping up our series on the life of Peter. And for the last two months, we have been looking at Peter's life and seeing how it really is a picture for us of the Christian life. And I think today is a great kind of bookend to this series because what we saw in week one, the very first time that Peter met Jesus was that Peter got a new name. When you become a Christian, Jesus gives you a new name. He gives you a new identity. An identity that is not based on who you are or anything that you've done, but it's based on who he is and everything that he has done for you in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. You get a new name. But what we see in this passage today at the very end is that Peter gets a new mission. And you see, here's how the normal Christian life looks. 
The normal Christian life is you, 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 you meet Jesus and Jesus tells you who you are, but then he sends you back out into the world with a new mission. He sends you back out into the world to live for God's purposes in the world. It's sort of like that moment at the very beginning of Harry Potter where Harry has yet to discover his real identity. Do you remember this? He's living with his aunt and his uncle and Dudley, who's like the most despicable person ever, you know, and they treat him like he is a nobody. And Harry thinks he's a nobody. He's yet to really discover, you know, his own story. But then he finds out who his parents are. And that he's got these magical powers. And that there's this special calling on his life. And suddenly his life is infused with with meaning and with purpose. And this is how Christianity works. This is what God wants to do with each one of us. The more you understand who you are in Christ and his mission for your life, the more meaningful life gets. Life doesn't get smaller when you become a Christian. Life gets bigger. It's no longer just about your own story. It's about living for a story that is bigger than your own story. And this is something that every single person in this room, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, needs. Every single one of us is asking the question of what is a meaningful life? What's a purposeful life? What will give me a full life? Uh, William Irving, he wrote a book called A Guide to the Good Life. And in this book, he talks about uh, what he calls the danger of misliving. He says this, he says, there is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. Now, what does he mean by a bad life? He says, there is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you'll look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. How do you avoid the danger of misliving? How do you keep from getting to the end and feeling like you wasted the one chance that you had in this world? The answer to that question is mission mission. It's, it's, it's learning to live for a story that's bigger than your own. See, so many of us, we are bored with life, and we try to fix our boredom through fun, through experiences, through money, but you don't cure boredom with any of those things. You know how you cure boredom? You cure boredom with meaning, meaning, finding meaning in life, and nothing can give you meaning like living in God's mission. So what does this passage teach us about living in God's mission? Two things for today. You say, wait, I thought it was always three. No, it's two. Today is two. Today is two. Living in God's mission means, number one, something happens to you, and number two, something happens through you. So let's start. Living in God's mission means something happens to you. Now, in case you missed last week, let me just catch you up here. We looked at Peter's greatest failure in life, his greatest source of shame. He denied Jesus three times in the courtyard as Jesus was being tried. Now, this passage that we read today 
takes place right after all of that happens. Jesus goes to the cross, then he rises again, and and now here in John 21, the disciples are encountering the resurrected Christ on this beach. And Jesus has made breakfast for them. Now, if you're Peter, and knowing what has just happened, what are you thinking when you show up on this beach and you see Jesus? You're probably thinking something like this. Maybe he won't bring it up. Maybe we can just pretend like it never happened. Maybe he forgot, you know? And what's really interesting about this is that every commentator I read this week said, not only does Jesus bring up Peter's betrayal, but Jesus takes Peter back to that courtyard. He recreates the scene for Peter. And he does it in three ways. Now, we started in verse 12 this morning, but if you turn back uh, to verse 9 of this passage, you'll find that it says that Jesus made a, a fire of burning coals on this beach for the disciples. Now, why is that interesting? Well, the last time, in fact, the only time we saw a burning fire in John's gospel was, guess where? In the courtyard, as Peter warmed himself by the fire as he denied Jesus. That's the first way Jesus recreates the scene. But then second, look at the question that Jesus asked Peter in verse 15. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, remember what Peter had said the night before Jesus was betrayed? He said, or the night before Jesus was crucified, he said, you're you're all going to fall away. You're all going to deny me. And Peter said, no, Jesus, even if they fall away, even if they deny you, I won't. I I love you more than they love you, Jesus. And then notice, here's the third way Jesus recreates the scene, is that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times to remind Peter of his three denials. You say, man, Jesus is really rubbing it in. I mean, just heaping on the guilt. You know, trying to hurt Peter emotionally and psychologically as much as possible. No, it's actually the exact opposite. Jesus is not trying to hurt Peter. He's trying to affirm Peter. Friends, Jesus will never take your shame and use it against you. That is not how Jesus works. Jesus takes our shame and he wants to heal us. He wants to affirm us. And the reason that we know this is because what we're going to see in just a minute is that Jesus enveloped Peter in his mission. See, you never give somebody a job to do, a job that's really important to you, unless you really trust and love that other person. Jesus is not heaping on the guilt on Peter in this moment. Jesus is pouring out his love and his grace. He is saying to Peter, Peter, what you did, we, we need to talk about it. And here's why we need to talk about it. Because what you did cannot stop me from loving you and wanting to use you in my purposes in the world. And this is where mission starts. Mission does not start with doing things for God. It starts with being loved by God. Mother Teresa was once talking to this uh, successful businessman. She looked at him and she said, what's your job? He said, well, I'm in finance. She said, no, what's your job? He said, well, I'm, I'm an executive. 
She said, what's your job? He said, I have no clue what you're talking about. She said, your job is to be loved by God. That is the first task of every Christian. The first task of every Christian is to be loved by God. And it is the starting place of mission. We need to hear Jesus say to us what he said to Peter. That no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter the mess you have made of your life, no matter how much you feel like you have failed God, you cannot derail God's determination to love you. So we need to hear that, and we don't just need to hear it once. We need to hear it again and again and again. Did you notice this? It's this little detail in verse 14. And it says that this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. That means Peter has already encountered Jesus twice after his betrayal. Two times where Jesus has already affirmed Peter and reminded Peter, hey, we are good. I know what happened, but you were forgiven and you were loved and I still want to use you for my purposes in the world. Peter needed to hear this again and again and again. And guess what? So do we. We need to hear again and again and again of God's love for us. You know, imagine my wife came to me and she said, you know, you never tell me anymore that you love me. I said, what do you mean? I, I told you at our wedding 13 years ago in front of all those people. It, you, do you really need to hear it again? Now that, that's kind of an extreme example, but this is how most of us live spiritually. We say, you know, okay, yeah, I've got the basic stuff. God loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the advanced stuff. Give me the meat and potatoes. You know, I think this is why so many of us, we see such little change in our lives. We, we wonder why we're not changing more. And it's because we said, well, I don't really, I've gotten past this love, God's love for me thing. Peter never did that. Peter never said, give me the advanced stuff. Uh, there's a book in the New Testament that Peter actually wrote later on. It's called 1 Peter. Named it after himself. And in 1 Peter 1, he's talking about the salvation that has come to us in Christ. The grace that has come to us in Christ. The love that has come to us in the gospel. And then he says this. He says, even the angels long to look into these things. Peter says, the angels never get tired of looking into the love of God. And Peter says, he never got tired of looking into the love of God. He needed to hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so do we. If we're ever going to live in God's mission, we need to hear God tell us over and over and over and over again every single day how loved we are, how cherished we are, how accepted we are. And you say, well, how does that happen? Is that like an audible voice or something? Because I'd love to hear that from God. But I've never really like heard that. How do we hear that? We actually hear it we don't typically hear it in an audible voice. We typically hear it in two ways, and both of them are actually right here in this passage. The first one is the Bible. Say, wait a minute, I'm, where is the Bible in these verses? I don't see that anywhere. Okay, Peter got Jesus' words directly. 
They came to him directly. Do you know how they come to us? They come to us indirectly. They come to us through Peter and through the other eyewitnesses who wrote the words of Jesus down in the Gospels. That is what, friends, that's not just what the Gospels are about. This is what the whole Bible is about. It is about God telling you over and over and over and over again of his great love for you. Augustine once said that the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. It's God reminding us of who we are, who our true family is, where we come from and where we're headed. You see, what if you read the Bible that way? What if, what if you read the Bible not like it was just a rule book, not like it was just a way to kind of acquire more theology or doctrine. But what if you read the Bible as God's words to tell you every single day how loved you are? Do you know how much that would change the way you read the Bible? I mean, number one, you'd read it, right? You'd read it. And two, you'd read it a lot. It'd be hard to put it down. What's the second way that God usually speaks to us? assures us of his love for us. It's not just the Bible, but it's community. Now, I love the fact that this little conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter in this passage happens in front of the other disciples. They heard it. You can imagine what this means. Imagine how they were able to encourage Peter in his later moments of doubt. I mean, surely he had them. Surely there were moments where he thought back to his betrayal, his failure. Surely he continued to struggle with guilt and shame just like we do. Imagine the way that the disciples were able to say, Peter, do you remember that day on the beach? We, we, we heard of his love for you. We heard him affirm it. We, 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 we've seen it. You see, you and I, we all need friends like that. We need people like that in our lives. We need a community to remind us that God loves us when we doubt it. Where do you find that? Right here in this room. That is what the church is meant to be. A community of people who are reminding one another over and over and over again of God's great love for us. And this is the starting place of mission. It's not getting busy and doing things for God. It is knowing how loved you are by God. Something that has to happen to you, but that brings us to point two, is that living in God's mission means something happens through you. God's love is like a spiritual tornado. It draws you in and then it spits you back out into the world. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I love you. And I've got a job for you to do. And this is kind of the pattern you see over and over and over again in the Bible. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my blessings on your life. Why? Well, it's not just for you, Abraham. It's so that you can be a blessing. God says to Israel, I have set my affections on you. Pledged my covenant faithfulness to you. And now I want you to go be a light to the nations. God says to David, 
you're the least likely to be chosen. But I've chosen you and I've set my love upon you and now I've got a calling for your life. Uh, All of the prophets, Jonah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter and all of the disciples, this is the pattern throughout the Bible. God never saves you just for you. Just for your sake. He saves you so that others might be blessed through you as you live in his mission. Now, what is that mission? That's kind of the great question of this text. What is the mission that God is inviting you and me into? Well, it's the same mission that he invites Peter into in this passage. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, for Peter... That certainly meant something unique for him because the New Testament talks about how Peter and the other apostles, they are the foundation on which the church is built. In other words, they played a unique role in the church. The New Testament says that Jesus is the cornerstone, but the apostles are the foundation. It means something very unique for Peter, but the whole point of this series has been... (laughs) how Peter is a picture for us of the Christian life. And so what what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on not what is uh, this uniquely meant for Peter, but what it actually means for all of us. So when Jesus talks about lambs and sheep, he says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Lambs and sheep, what are those? That's people. And think about the idea of feeding and taking care of. That's, That's love, actually. And so you just put those two things together. What is the mission of God? Jesus says, here it is, loving other people. Now, love is a a generic term, so we need to dig a little bit deeper here. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, we see two ways that he models love for us, and they show us what it means to live in God's mission. And here's what they are. Word and deed. Word and deed. In Luke 4, Jesus is in the temple and he's announcing the inauguration of his public ministry. He opens to Isaiah 61 and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. That's word. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. That's deed. Listen to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, I think it's verse 35. It summarizes Jesus' whole ministry like this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's word. And healing every disease and sickness. That's deed. Jesus carried out his mission in both word and deed. He proclaimed the gospel, the good news of salvation, and he sought to meet the physical needs of those around him. And guess what? Both of these things show up in Peter's ministry when you turn to the book of Acts. After Jesus ascends, Peter becomes one of the most powerful preachers in the New Testament, one of the most powerful proclaimers of the gospel. They keep saying to him, Peter, you need to shut up or we're going to throw you in jail. He says, oh, no, I can't stop telling you about this good news. Peter, you need to stop talking or we're going to kill you. I, 
I need to tell you what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've experienced. Word. And deed. You know why? Because Peter becomes this compassionate servant of the poor, of the marginalized, and of the sick. And this is the pattern of living in God's mission, word and deed. So how are you doing this morning? How about a little test? You say, I don't come to church for tests. Well, how about a little test? How are you doing? Let's do a little bit of an assessment. How are you doing? How are you doing loving others in word? Are you telling people about Jesus? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends? Do, do they even know that you're a Christian? You say, well, I, you know, I don't know enough about the Bible to tell people about this. I mean, what if, what if somebody asked me a question and I don't know the answer? You know, in John chapter 4, there's a woman, uh, it's a Samaritan woman at the well. She meets Jesus for the very first time. After this encounter, she becomes one of the greatest evangelists in the whole New Testament. She starts going around inviting everyone to come meet Jesus. She says, come, come meet this man who has told me everything that I ever did. You know what she knew before that encounter? Nothing. You know what she knew after that encounter with Jesus? She knew two things. She knew that he knew her and he loved her. That's all she knew. And it sent her out. And God used her. You don't have to know much to live in God's mission in word. You just have to know what she knew and what Peter knew. And the more you know it, the more you will invite others, the more you'll pray for others, the more you'll, try to, you'll befriend people who don't know Jesus, the more, uh, the more you will tell others. And let me make this just very, very practical for all of us. You have a wonderful opportunity on Friday, December 8th. You heard Dave talking about this concert you have so many friends, and if you said to them, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday morning, they would say, I don't think so. I invited somebody to church just a couple weeks ago, and they said, God would strike me dead if I walked into a church. I said, look, I've been showing up here for five and a half years. You're going to be fine, trust me. But you have so many friends who would never show up on a Sunday morning, but what a great opportunity to invite them on a Friday night to come rub shoulders with other Christians to come celebrate, to come hear the good news, to go to a party after. This is what living in God's mission looks like, loving other people in word, but it also means loving others in deed. How are you doing with that? How are you doing, how are you doing with loving others in deed in your own home? This is, this is actually where loving others in deed starts. It starts with loving the people that God has placed right in front of you. We skip past this. We think, oh no, living in God's mission, that's like some grand, you know, let me go do some big thing for God. And God says, no, I want you to love the people that I put right around you. Your roommates. Your friends. If you're, if you're married, your spouse. If you have kids, your kids. These are the first people that God calls you to serve, to care for, to tend to, to listen to, to not neglect. 
How, how are you doing in your home? How are you doing loving others indeed in the church? See, when Jesus starts talking about sheep and lambs, he's talking about, that, that's church language. That's the body of Christ. We can't claim to live in God's mission if we aren't caring for one another. If you consider yourself a part of this church family, let me ask you, who in this church is God calling you to befriend? Who who is lonely and needs a friend? Who is God calling you to extend hospitality to? You know, Thanksgiving is coming up. We've got people in this church who, they don't have a family to go to. They don't have a home to go to. Maybe God is calling you to invite them to yours. Who are are the people who have practical needs in this church? That God is calling you to serve. How are you doing loving others indeed in the church? How are you doing loving others indeed with the city. See, living in God's mission means loving the city. It means seeking to meet the material and the physical needs of the poor. It means having a concern for racial and economic injustice. It means not turning a blind eye to those who are hurting. It means care for the widow for the poor, for the orphan, for the immigrant. It means radical generosity with your time and with your money. See, what I love about all of this is that living in God's mission, it is both so ordinary and extraordinary. It's ordinary because God calls ordinary people to live this out in our everyday lives. But it is extraordinary because it requires tremendous sacrifice. There's a real cost to loving others in word and deed. Henry Nouwen was uh, a renowned speaker, writer, and professor, actually. He taught at both Harvard and Yale. Uh, And in the mid-80s, he was offered a job that was on the opposite end of the spectrum. He was invited to be the pastor uh, at a home that was dedicated to caring for people with severe intellectual disabilities. To leave these Ivy League schools meant leaving a life of prestige, a life of importance, a life of notoriety, a life of everyone else around him looking at him and saying, wow, this is somebody who really, who really matters. And it meant moving into a home and living with people who not only had they never read his books, but they could not read his books. And it meant living with people who could not reciprocate his love for them, but would need to be spoon-fed every meal, would need help going to the bathroom and showering, would need their sheets changed in the middle of the night. Henry Nouwen took this job. He spent the final 10 years of his life giving himself away for these people. And this is what he said at the very end of that. He said, we often live as if our happiness depended on having, 
But I don't know anyone who is really happy because of what he or she has. True joy comes from the giving of ourselves to others. A happy life is a life for others. Giving ourselves away is the path to joy. Living in God's mission, loving others in word and in deed, it is the antidote to misliving. But it also comes at tremendous cost and sacrifice. That was true for Henry Nouwen. It's true for you and me. It's true for Peter. Look at what Jesus says to Peter in verse 18. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. When Jesus talks to Peter about stretching out his hands, he's talking about crucifixion. And what church history tells us is that Peter was actually crucified upside down. Living in God's mission cost him. And the million dollar question is what got Peter to live like that? What got Peter to follow Jesus like that? What's going to get you and me to live like that? What's going to get us to follow Jesus like that? You know, none of us, most likely none of us, will suffer physical crucifixion on a cross. But Jesus looks at every person who wants to follow him and he says, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, you're going to have to stretch out your hands. It'll cost you. What will ever get us to live like that? And the answer is seeing what Peter saw. What did did Peter see? What had Peter seen? Peter denied Jesus three times, and then you know what he saw? He saw Jesus stretch out his hands for him on the cross. And that is what this table invites us to see week after week. So the more, you, you, cannot, you cannot get on board with living in God's mission for the world until you see God's mission for you. The more you see him loving you, which is what this table is about, the more you will love others. The more you see him sacrificing for you, which is what this table is about, the more you will sacrifice for others. The more you see him giving himself away for you, the more you will give yourself away for others and your life will be full. You will not mislive. You will not miss out. Your life will be full of mission, of meaning, of purpose, of joy. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this table and for the love that it proclaims to us. That is a love that we need to hear again and again and again, and it is why you invite us to this table week after week. 
God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to believe this morning as we come to this table of your great love for us. It's the only thing that can turn us outward from ourselves so that we might be free to live in the joy of giving ourselves away as you have given yourself away for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.